Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. I am the host of the OIS Podcast, which you are listening to. Thank you for joining us today. We've uh, been talking quite a bit about MIGS and glaucoma over the past few weeks, uh, looking at it from a company perspective, from a technology perspective. Today, we're going to hear from a physician who is uh, employing MIGS technology, hopes to employ more of it going forward. Uh, Dr. Asan Sadre is a board-certified and fellowship-trained uh, surgeon in cataract surgery, LASIK, and glaucoma surgery, of course. He is with Atlantis Eye Care in Orange County, California. And uh, Dr. Sadra and I talked a bit today about the impact that MIGS will have on the practice of ophthalmology and on the impact on uh, individual physician practices. And not only did we hit upon MIGS and new technologies and how they'll influence uh, the delivery of medicine and the management of practices, but talked as well about some uh, external macro forces like Obamacare. So it was a really great conversation. Uh, I enjoy talking with Hassan. He's got a lot of energy and insights. So please enjoy this conversation. Dr. Hassan Sadre, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. We, we've uh, had a lot of fun lately talking about the MIG space, so, and I'll just jump right into it. And we've been looking at it more from a financial and sort of a company creation perspective with the IPO of Glaucos and the, the acquisition of Acrisis. There's obviously a lot of movement uh, on the business side. What I was hoping we could talk a bit about today uh, is just sort of see how this success on the commercial side, uh, including the launch of iStent, is really in how the potential launches going forward of Zen and some of the other products how that's influencing the physicians. What what sort of reverberations are you seeing on, on the clinical side? So what does the rise of MIGS uh, and other startups mean to you uh, as a practitioner? It's a great question, Tom. So, you know, as we were chatting earlier, MIGS is an exciting uh, sort of evolution in, in the glaucoma space. Um, what maintains the excitement, I think, for a lot of guys is, is the fact that the patient population that we have is growing. So from a demand standpoint, there's a lot of patients in this pool. Uh, the technology that's faced it that we've had, the filtration devices, the glaucoma surgeries are very invasive. So there's a big disruptive force. So MIGS in general, I think it's creating a very big buzz in the community because it's going to give better patient uh, satisfaction, rapid recovery, right? And the ability for patients to have really minimal uh, morbidity. Um, glaucoma surgeries, when I trained, were very invasive. And I was lucky enough to train with uh, Richard Hill, who's the founder, as you know, and inventor of iStat. So we did some of the early work uh, looking at how this design is sort of uh, put in, into practice. And no one really knew um, how big it's going to be. Um, but if you look at the data um, and usage and increase in, uh, in, in usage of, of iStent specifically, because it's the only FDA-approved device so, thus far, you can see a nice incremental increase every year. And I think that you'll see that trajectory increase with the other uh, exciting technologies coming to space. For instance, you know, Transcend is going to be coming down, Aquasis is coming down the pike, and I think that's going to be really good for everybody. I think it's going to create a much better patient outcome experience for the doctor and the patient. Um, so 
clinical practice, in my own specific practice as a glaucoma surgeon, I do a lot of uh, end-stage glaucoma. But what I, what the eye stent specifically being approved, what allowed me to do is give patients choice, and that's really critical. Meaning, if a patient came in, they had they needed cataract extraction surgery, it allowed us to offer that treatment protocol earlier, so that the patient didn't have to have a more invasive treatment later down the pike. And that's the space where this is growing the most. Patients who have very good what we call traditional glaucoma that is stable, but can be remedied with the eye stent. And I think as we get more advanced technologies, better IOP reduction you're going to see that other spaces, meaning the advanced or severe patients, have better choices as well. One of the benefits we hear about uh, of the clinician to attend our OIS conferences, and you're, you're obviously one of them, you've been at, at many, is that the insights on the technology coming down the pike, uh, and MIGS is a space we've talked about a lot. How have you been able to prepare for this uh, coming technology? I know iStent's been out for a, a couple of years, but... What impact will the introduction of these technologies uh, have on your practice? What kind of preparations are you making uh, on the front lines uh, as these things come forward? Yeah, so so first of all, uh, kudos to you and everyone in the team for doing a great job with OIS. You guys do a terrific job with it. I think it's, uh, it's exciting. I see a lot of the guys who are in this space that are clinicians love to sit there and see what's coming down the pike. Um, I think everyone's really excited to see not only just MIGs, but other devices and technologies coming out. Um, I, I think it's um, very exciting for um, patients who have glaucoma in this country and abroad to have choices. I think that, um, you know, MIGs being a big space, if we call it, um, and, you know, Glaucosted, let's frankly say they did a lot of the heavy lifting. I mean, they, they got the, reg, you know, regulatory out of the way, commercialization out of the way, and I think... The, if you look at the next few choices coming down the pike, I'll be giving a talk in a couple of days of the Millennium and I on the subject of make space. And if you look at the next choices, Transcend, right, and you're looking at Aquasis and Hydrus, all these different technologies are going to create better efficacy with minimal downtime and morbidity for the patient. So that means a happier patient. That means the patient can go back to work. Not only does it have satisfaction when it comes to patient outcomes, and how we actually get paid financially in the next five to ten years and how Medicare is evolving. There's actually a, you can actually dollarize that, but also from a standpoint of you can actually put a dollar figure on these patients going back to work because traditional glaucoma surgery like the Ahmed valve or the bar valve uh, or Moltino like I did one yesterday um, requires the patients pretty much out of the you know, workforce for uh, at least a week or so, and it's going to be very uncomfortable for them to go back. Um, downtime is uh, much longer, and so we needed this this space to grow and expand, and that's what we're seeing now, and it's exciting for doctors and patients. And do you see, uh, looking forward, you, you mentioned all the, the devices that are coming this way, and MIGS, uh, Transcend, and, and Glucose, and, and Aquasis, and the like. How do you see this playing out? Do you see a need for uh, multiple products, or do you see uh, one technology emerging? And you don't have to pick a winner if you don't feel comfortable doing that. I'm not asking that. But how, how do you see this? Will your practice offer all of these different products, or do you think there will be one that's your clear-cut favorite? It's a great question. I, you know, Tom, I think the anytime you have um, competition, it's a good thing for the, the – 
the space that they're the the patient and, and really end end user, if you will, for both from a doctor standpoint and the patient standpoint, because actually it drives innovation, right? Um, in other words, uh, you know, when you look at the different technology platforms coming out in this mixed space, I think it's it's healthy to have several competing technologies. It's too fluid to determine right now specifically what is going to be the sort of predominant um, uh, device being used just because of, of the fact that, quite honestly, not all of them are approved. Um, but I think if you look at the data set, um, you know, I'm excited. I think you see, you see Transcend showing up some really good numbers. You see the Aquasis with minimal invasive treatment and faking patients. Um, I think these technologies are all either going to essentially get uh, bought out or expand. And I think if you look at the model that Glaucus has done, and um, you know, and uh, kudos to Tom and, and Chris for doing a great job with the IPO. If you look at what they've done, essentially, is look it says, look, we, we're obviously going to need to exit, and they and and it creates a, um, a you know by doing the IPO now they're creating much more resource have more resources to bring in better people, and that's what they're looking at now. How do we expand this internationally, for instance? So I think you, you can look at it um, in different ways. Clinically, I think if you look at just, if you believe in uh, you know, the FDA data, I think they're all looking pretty good. In my opinion, I think the, the, the space we have the most need is the moderate to severe disease states. Um, because you need a higher efficacy reduction there, right? Mm-hmm. So because trabeculectin is still the gold standard um, and it is very invasive and, as you know, can cause issues like blebitis and ophthalmitis and, quite honestly, failure, that space is going to be the, the sort of the gold rush. Whoever gets to the point where they have a nice, steady IOP reduction of 30 to 40% on moderate to glau- uh, severe glaucoma patients is going to win and they're going to win big. We're going to take a break from this conversation just for a moment to remind you all that if you want to present at our upcoming OIS event or perhaps a future event, if your story isn't uh, far enough along, go to ois.net, provide us with your information, go find the presenting companies link, click on that, uh, give us the information that we're seeking, and you will be considered uh, for a presenting slot at an upcoming conference. And of course, if you want to attend, that information is there as well. Go to ois.net to register. Now back to this conversation. Has your view uh, as a surgeon trying to to run a practice in today's evolving healthcare field, has your view of new technologies changed at all from perhaps even just five or 10 years ago? Uh, Is it still, you know, bring me everything you've got, uh, new technology, better ways of doing things, uh, I'll find a way to make it work. Or, or do you look at new technologies differently and really have to decide, well, yeah, that sounds great, but you know, how am I going to pay for that? How's the patient going to pay for that? What are the additional challenges that you see when you're looking at, at new products coming down the, the pike? Yeah, so in order, so take the, the good example here would be the initial uh, launch of uh, Glaucos' iStat. So initially, you know, when there's no CPT code and it's really hard to get reimbursement in, in second and third uh, uh, tertiary companies, for instance, uh, payers, um, it really becomes difficult and challenging for a practice to really take the numbers and really show meaningful volume. Um, meaning, th- th- any technology that comes out, to your point, not only has to be efficacious and safe, 
but also has to have a, a model where the doctor can actually get reimbursed and so that it, it begins to take off. Otherwise, it sort of becomes a boutique um, cash uh, product, which is very rarely used, quite honestly, because patients cannot afford these uh, fee-for-service uh, uh, technologies. It is not to say you, there's no space there, but it's not the volume that you're looking for. So if you look at, for instance, the data of ISENT usage prior to and to after approval with the CPP code, you'll see a big jump. And the reason is because, to your point, it allows for the patient and the doctor to be able to be in the same carpool lane, alignment, right? Um, doctors would like to have the best technologies for the patients, but if there's no reimbursement channel and they can't commercialize, it's going to be very hard for that product to take off. So I think, to your point, it's really uh, prudent for us to sit down and be uh, uh, important for us to focus on this, meaning is this, is this technology going to allow us to incorporate it and commercialize it properly so the doctors can be on board or not? If it is, then, then I think, in, and if it's efficacious, I think it will be great. Um, but I, on the other hand, um, if it's not, you'll see the good example in the retina space, for instance, if you look at what happened with Avastin, Lucentis, and Macugen. Um, you see the more expensive products sort of withered away. Uh, were they as technology? Was it a technology-driven decision, or was it a cost? I think cost is a big factor, and I think um, you know as Medicare becomes much more regulated when it comes to cost, it's gonna it's gonna be frowned upon to use things that are gonna be um, uh, technologies that are not essentially uh, excellent when it comes to uh, being low in cost. And that's really the the issue that's overriding. I think everything you do now is just the the financial success of your practices, as we're seeing in other specialties. Uh, private practices are, are are disappearing. What are the what are the challenges in ophthalmology today? Uh, just making the practice grow and, and and bringing in new technologies, and of course, giving patients the best care. What where are you finding the greatest challenges? I think the the biggest challenges that we so we talked about this briefly um, prior, but if you look at the overall sort of payer mix in the country, the areas in the um, eastern seaboard and the west um, have been very progressive. Um, if you look at Hawaii, for instance, a lot of managed care, uh, Southern California being another where I practice, there's a tremendous amount of sort of we did all the heavy lifting already. Uh, we went through the reform. The patients are in these big pools of uh, sort of connected, um, coordinated care already. You see with EHR that we're interfacing with the primary care physician almost instantaneously. The patient actually leaves my room. Um, I leave the room, and the, the doctor already has a note on his desk about the you know patient's diabetic neuropathy or cataract. So you, what you see is, one, a lot more coordinated care, when it comes to communication and, frankly, payments. Two, you'll see that the, the patients' populations that used to be what we call traditional fee-for-service or private are now being aligned with big groups, and those groups either have a, a pool of doctors that they can send the patients to or not. Um, and to your point, physicians who are purely private practice where they have, they're not aligned, it's going to be very hard for them to maintain a thriving practice because let's face it, I mean, my rent is going higher, the girls are getting paid more, our insurances and liability are all increasing. So it's very, it's just a, it's just mass. 
And so for us to be able to incorporate new technologies and have good outcomes, maintain a good thriving practice, we have to adapt. And that adaptation requires either, number one, you sell to a hospital, or two, you become a part of a bigger group and cost share. So that's what we've done. I think you'll see an increase in multi-specialty practices. Um, I think you're going to see some areas in the country incorporate ophthalmology as a staff model. We've seen that already in Southern California. Believe it or not, there's few ophthalmologists that actually work for the hospital. They sold the practice. They said, we're out. Um, so I fundamentally believe in the you know, what we were talking about earlier is, is maintaining an independent private practice of ophthalmology because ophthalmology tends to enjoy really good innovation and, and technology, and that's going to continue to be there. And I think there is a balance there. There is an ability for us to be able to maintain good, solid, innovative technologies like the MEGs, like the premium IOLs, like FEMTO in our practices, but at the same time be able to play ball, if you will, with big groups and have access to these patients. I think traditionally there's always been this thought in physicians' minds there, well, you know, I'm not going to accept any uh, HMOs. or I'm not going to be part of a health plan. I think that's a mistake. I think uh, the, you have to look at that as an opportunity and not a, a liability. What might the multi-specialty practices look like? We're obviously already seeing ophthalmology and optometry. I know you do some aesthetics there at, at Atlantis. Do, we see, do you see going beyond that into even dip, more different specialties, and, and what other services might your practice provide in five years that you're not providing now? Um, I think it's this is a very uh, fluid space. If you look at multi-specialty, for instance, the, the lowest hanging fruit for the general um, anterior segment practice, which means that typically one or two docs, maybe three that just do cataract surgery to have their own AS, standalone ASC, is number one is incorporating their own retina doctor. I think you're seeing that more and more across the country, um, and the reason is because the, the enormous cost and expansion of um, treating of you know the, the macular degeneration patients. You'll see a huge, tremendous cost savings if you have your own retina physician within the practice. I think that's that's number one. Number two, I think you'll see more of alignment with with the in the areas that are very populated. You, you'll see multi-specialty. Um, care in, in surgical centers, meaning, for instance, that it may not be very um, uh, weird to say that the GI guys, the you know, gastrointestinal doctors and, and, and ophthalmologists and the orthopedic surgeons may get together and buy a surgical center together. Um, we're seeing that right now. Essentially, before we would just do um, ophthalmology in the practice, but we, we realized, well, wait a minute, if we um, hook our wagon up with the GI guys and maybe the orthopedic surgeons, we can actually cost benefit and have more flow through the um, surgical centers. And so that's another aspect. Hmm. You mentioned aesthetics. I think that's a really interesting, exciting part because patients are frankly interested in, in getting their aesthetic work done. It's something that it started in ophthalmology. I mean, Botox was started with an ophthalmologist. And look how expansive and how amazing that product has been. Um, and sort of we've fallen behind a little bit in that. I think as an ophthalmologist, we've been very... Um, academic in a little bit uh, way. And when I look at aesthetics, we've been so focused on doing anterior segment. But if you look at that, uh, the larger practices are incorporating a lot of plastics, a lot of these facial fillers, um, and facial rejuvenation technologies in their practices um, because the patients want it. Just because a patient comes in and has a glaucoma, 
treatment, it doesn't mean that she's not going down the street and getting Botox from someone else. Believe me, they are. Uh, they tell me they are. And so why not capitalize on that? And so, so those are different creative ways of maintaining a thriving practice. You have to get creative, right? So you have to be adaptive and create and create value-based proposition for the patients. And if you're able to do that successfully, then you're going to be okay. Well, innovation is certainly happening all over the place, both on the clinical side and, and the practice side and the technology side. So thanks for, uh, That's right. thanks for sharing your insights on all of them. And uh, finally, we, I'm glad we finally had a chance to connect on the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Keep up your great work. I always enjoy listening to your podcast. Excellent. We'll see you in November. That's right. Las Vegas. Thank you, Asan Sadre, for joining us on the OIS podcast. It was a pleasure to get a different perspective on the technologies that we talk about at our OIS events. Of course, we've got uh, great uh, surgical leaders attending our OIS uh, conferences as well and want to get more of their voices on this podcast. So it's great to have that perspective. If you'd like to meet with Dr. Sadre or other leading surgeons in glaucoma, you should be at OIS. So go to ois.net to register. Again, that's ois.net to register. We'll be holding uh, our next conference just before AAO in Las Vegas on November 12th. So sign up and we will see you in Las Vegas. OIS is now accepting applications for presenting companies. Share your technology and clinical data with over 800 industry executives, investors, and key opinion-leading ophthalmologists. To be considered for the Ophthalmology Innovation Showcase, apply online at www.ois.net forward slash application.